welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is part three of a nine-part series. This is the evening service of Sunday the 21st of June 2015, entitled Believers Unite Against the True Enemy, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 20. Here's Brother Gareth Green. Um, thank you all for coming out to uh, worship God this evening. Uh, this is sermon number three in our series on 1 Thessalonians. Uh, the previous sermon we looked at uh, was titled Godly Motives for Ministry. And you may remember that the key question uh, that we asked ourselves was, what does my ministry look like? So, What does your ministry look like? Uh, but this evening we are going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and carrying on in verse 13. Uh, 13 down to verse 20. And the title for this evening's sermon is Believers Unite Against the True Enemy. So please join me, if you will, in reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 20. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavour the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for uh, this book that you've preserved for us, um, and thank you, Lord, for this uh, this letter that uh, we are studying tonight. Thank you, Lord, for um, the Thessalonians and uh, everything that you did in them. Thank you, Lord, for um, the fellowship that was desired between uh, Paul and uh, his companions with these Thessalonians. Um, Lord God, we just pray now that uh, as we um, just sit here now and uh, listen to your word, um, I pray that each one of us would just uh, hear from you. I pray, Lord, that um, you would uh, change our lives, Lord, wherever we need to um, be changed, grow us where we need to be grown. And Lord, we just pray that you would um, yeah, have your will and your way among us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So tonight, uh, we are going to be looking at the following four aspects of fellowship. Um, and those four aspects are the foundation of fellowship, the foe of fellowship, the fusion of fellowship, and the future of fellowship. 
So we've got the foundation, the foe, the fusion, and the future. Paul's aim in this passage of scripture that we've just read is to encourage the Thessalonian believers that they are not alone in their sufferings. He wants to tell them uh, of his deep desire to return to them and remind them of the future hope of Christ's return. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about fellowship this evening, so it will be helpful for us to establish a definition of it. Uh, fellowship, in the research that I did, the fellowship is a similar word uh, to uh, the words communion, um, a companion, or partnership. Um, it communicates a spirit of generosity and sharing. Fellowship is something deeper than just uh, a friendship group. It's a family. Um, this isn't something like a, a friendly business relationship. It's more like a husband and a wife relationship. But the definition that uh, I'm going to use tonight is fellowship is sharing communion or um, having communion uh, and doing life together. So fellowship is sharing communion and doing life together. So firstly, let's look at the foundation of our fellowship. When the Thessalonians accepted the word of God as truth, an instant bond was made between them and every other believer because they, uh, because they now share the same foundation. Um, when they received the word of God, they had faith that it was the truth. So this is our foundation, faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The strongest unity that we can have with another human being is when we share with them the same faith in Christ. Even when we disagree with our brothers and sisters sometimes on secondary issues, our foundations will never change. That's what holds our fellowship together. Um, our foundation is the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. God's law shows us that we are sinners. Uh, we have all broken God's laws. Our sin separates us from God. And we have all willingly disobeyed God. And therefore, we are all guilty and rightly deserve an eternity in hell. An eternity receiving the wrath of God for our sins. But in order for us to be saved from this punishment, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to live a completely blameless life. So that he could go to the cross and take upon himself the wrath of God, that we deserve for our sin. Jesus gave his life for us and then rose again three days later. So if we put our faith in Christ and his sacrifice, then we can be washed in his blood and stand before God innocent and pure, free from sin and in joyful, unhindered fellowship with God. We are able to have true fellowship with each other only if we have true fellowship with God. And that is why the gospel foundation is so important to our fellowship. 
So let's read again uh, verse number 13. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Um, I want you to note that last phrase, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. If you are a believer, then your spiritual life should not be the same as it was a year ago or two years ago. We should constantly be growing. Uh, the gospel is not like a snail. Um, I'll explain that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you go to uh, Paris, you might think, I'll try eating a snail once, but I'll never have it again. Just, you know, just as a one-off. <laughs> um, and the gospel is not something that we try only once. It's not a one-off thing. Uh, the gospel is our drinking water. It's our daily bread. If we don't feast on the gospel, then we will definitely become sick. We need to be constantly feeding on the gospel so we can grow and mature into clearer examples of Christ. As verse 13 says, our gospel foundation allows fellowship to grow over time because the gospel continually works in our lives. And as a result of this, our fellowship with other believers will grow because we're becoming more and more like Christ. And so when we become more and more like Christ, that means that we become more forgiving more servant-hearted, more humble, and less argumentative. That is the kind of friend that I want to have, a friend that acts like Christ. But none of these characteristics are possible without the firm foundation of the gospel. True fellowship is not possible with those that are not Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? The foundation of our fellowship is the gospel. Now, the second aspect of fellowship that we're going to look at uh, tonight is the foe of fellowship. So we've looked at the foundation, now we're going to look at the foe. In our text, we can see multiple foes of fellowship. Verse 14 tells us that the Jews are opposing the Thessalonian believers. But also verse 18 says that Satan is opposing them. No matter where we receive persecution from for doing the will of God, be it from a different religion or even our own family members, we know that Satan is responsible. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 describes what we used to be like before we were Christians. Paul writes, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So before we were born again, we were children of disobedience. And therefore, anyone who is not a Christian is walking according to the prince uh, of, of the power of the air, the devil. So when we receive persecution from others, we know that Satan is responsible. Now, verse 18 uh, tells us that Paul was hindered by Satan from fellowshipping with the Thessalonian believers on multiple occasions. Really? Now, why would the devil spend so much time doing that? Doesn't he have better things to do, like influence world leaders or prevent the gospel being spread? Why is he bothering to stop a bit of fellowship? This surely highlights how important fellowship is. Even the devil recognizes its power and importance. And that is why he tried so hard to prevent Paul from fellowshipping on multiple occasions. And that is also why he will continue to try so hard to prevent you from fellowshipping with other believers. Can you think of a Christian that you have had an argument with or where you felt that your friendship with them has been broken? Well, that's exactly what the devil wants. Perhaps you should think, how can you rebuild that relationship? How can you rebuild that fellowship? Now, uh, just remind us, uh, our, our definition of the word fellowship. Fellowship uh, is sharing communion and doing life together. So we've looked at the foundation of fellowship, the foe of fellowship. Uh, and now thirdly, we are going to be looking at the fusion of fellowship. The devil obviously wants us to be divided. So how can we be united and fused together? Well, verse 14 tells us that the Thessalonians were being persecuted just like those in Judea. Although it is intended to weaken and discourage us, persecution that is, although it's intended to weaken and discourage us, God uses it to strengthen our faith and bring us closer to God. Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 3 and 4 says, We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Persecution shows us how weak we are and how much we need God. Persecution helps us to grip onto our foundations. Imagine that your boss came into, uh, into work tomorrow uh, and said to you, um, you need to sign this confession by next week saying that Jesus is not God or else you're fired. Um, now, if that happened to you, then perhaps several questions would go around in your mind. Um, do I really believe uh, Jesus is God? Um, why do I believe that? And is my belief worth losing my job over? If you had not answered these questions for yourself previously, then persecution would force you to think, study, and stop straddling the fence and make up your mind on these issues. 
Persecution helps us to be grounded in our faith and have a stronger relationship with God. If your relationship with God is lukewarm, then your friendships with other Christians will also be lukewarm. Let's look at the fusion of fellowship between Paul and the Thessalonians in verse 17 and 18. Verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoured the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. So we see here that Paul was fused to the Thessalonians. In verse 17, the term being taken from you uh, is intensely passionate. The Greek term used used here is related to the word orphan, and it can also be translated as torn apart. Paul and the Thessalonian Christians are so fused together that to prevent them from having fellowship would be like stopping a parent from returning to their child. And this is quite a distressing picture. I'm sure that you can imagine the sorrow on both sides. But why? Why does such a strong bond exist between them? Well, when a person becomes a Christian, God places the Holy Spirit in them. God himself dwells in them. Isn't that an amazing thing? If you're a Christian, then God himself, the Almighty One, Holy, the All-Knowing One, the All-Powerful One, is currently living inside of you. God is not distant. He is right here with us. He wants a personal relationship with you. When we understand that, we can start to see why Christians would be drawn to other Christians and why Paul and these Thessalonians have such a strong bond. God fuses Christians together. We are all one body. God fuses us together by his Holy Spirit. And that is why Paul felt torn apart from his children. And that is how we should feel when we don't see our brothers and sisters in Christ for several weeks or months. We as Christians should have a family bond with one another. Verse 20 tells us that God gives us joy in fellowship and therefore fellowship breeds more fellowship. When Paul sees the Thessalonians, he has joy because he sees God working in them. He sees God's hand. He sees God's faithfulness. He sees Christ's bride. He sees God using them to spread the good news. He sees them imitating Christ. He sees people that Christ loves so much that he would die for them. So when we meet as Christians, we are reminded of all of those things. That is why fellowship breeds more fellowship. It is an essential ingredient to our healthy relationship with God, to a healthy relationship with our spouses, a healthy relationship with our parents, 
and a healthy relationship with our children. I'm going to read you a few verses now. Uh, John chapter 13 and verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Uh, And now 1 John chapter 3 verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 20 to 21 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So we've looked at the foundation of fellowship, the foe of fellowship, and the fusion of fellowship. And now the fourth and final aspect of fellowship we're going to look at this evening is the future of fellowship. Through all this time of separation, Paul has his hope grounded in the fact that even if he does not see his dear friends again in this lifetime, he will see them when Christ returns. That is the future of our fellowship. Um, I think it's worth addressing the phrase crown of rejoicing in verse 19. Now, what is a crown of rejoicing? Um, The crown of rejoicing is one of five different crowns mentioned in the Bible. Uh, This crown has also been referred to as the soul winner's crown, given to those that seek to help others become Christians by sharing the gospel with them. Now, we don't have time to go into uh, the five different crowns today. Um, A study on these crowns is usually referred to as the doctrine of rewards. Um, You don't have to earn these crowns in order to be a Christian, um, in order to go to heaven or to become some sort of super Christian. Um, But there seems to be an incentive to work fervently for the Lord here. Paul says that his hope, joy, and crown of rejoicing is that he will see them again when Christ returns. We can all look forward with great joy and anticipation to the future fellowship that we can have with Christ and also with one another. Paul's motivation for enduring through this time of separation is the second coming of Christ. When it may be uncertain if we will see our brothers and sisters again in this life, we can always be certain of our future fellowship with them and with Christ. Nothing, not even Satan, will be able to hinder eternal fellowship. So now that we've spent some time digging through the text, let's apply these truths to our lives. God designed you for fellowship. If Jesus and the Apostle Paul and all the apostles uh, needed fellowship, then we need fellowship. True fellowship is built on the gospel, and therefore our closest friends should be Christians. The deepest friendships that God wants us to have are only possible with other Christians. Satan will always oppose your fellowship. He knows how important and powerful it is. 
Are there any Christian brothers or sisters that you need to forgive or ask forgiveness from? Do you know of a Christian brother or sister being persecuted that needs to be encouraged? God gave us brothers and sisters to endure persecution with. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. If you are a Christian, then you are part of the body of Christ. And therefore, God wants you to be committed to a local church. If you are not currently part of a church, then ask God which church he wants you to be a part of. If he wants you here, then we want you here. If he wants you in a different church, then that's, when we, that's where we want you to go. Our hope should be settled in Christ's return, because from that point on, we will always be in fellowship with him. And I finally, I've saved the most important question to last. What is your fellowship like with God? Have you been spending time with him? Are you spending uh, more time watching TV or going on Facebook than reading your Bible or praying? There is no greater love or joy that you can experience than having a personal relationship with God unhindered by sin. Now, maybe uh, you might think, I don't feel this connection with other believers in my church. Um, I don't feel like they're a part of my family. Um, I wouldn't mind if one of them didn't turn up for three weeks in a row. Um, in fact, I probably wouldn't even notice. Well, with your biological family, um, you take part in family activities. Um, perhaps you do your fair share of the work. Um, you help them. You respect them. It's the same thing with your church family. You will feel a part of the church family when you start living and serving as a family member, when you start praying for other family members. When you take part in family activities and do your fair share of the work and help and respect them, then you will feel like you're a part of the family. So we're at the end of the sermon now. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. Um, let's just recap very quickly. We've just looked at the four aspects of fellowship. Uh, the foundation of fellowship, the foe of fellowship, the fusion of fellowship, and the future of fellowship. So our foundation is the gospel. The foe is Satan and sin. The fusion of fellowship is uh, the Holy Spirit and uh, the family bond that we have. Uh, and the future of our fellowship is uh, our eternity with Christ, the eternal, unbreakable fellowship that we'll have in heaven. The aim of this sermon has been to encourage us in our fellowship with other believers and with God. And I want to leave you with uh, the challenge, the same challenge again as the other uh, two sermons, I challenge you to read uh, 1 Thessalonians. And also I want to uh, challenge you to apply the scripture that we've read today practically to your own life. God designed you for fellowship. So are you fellowshipping in the way God wants you to? Uh, to start off now, I want you to pray silently to yourself. Um, talk to God. 
Uh, I want you to think of one thing that you feel God has spoken to you about in the time, in our time together this evening. Uh, please take that one thing and decide how your life is going to change because of it. Uh, maybe think of just one practical thing that you can do to obey what God has spoken to you about this evening. Heavenly Father, we just thank you now for the gift of fellowship. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that um, you loved our brothers and sisters so much that you died for them. And thank you, Lord, that you died for us also. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you love the church. Uh, you died and gave yourself for the church, Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, for making us a part of your body and giving us the opportunity to love one another and serve one another. And um, yeah, we can just be people from all different walks of life, all different parts of the world, and um, we can still be one family, Lord. And thank you for the the image of uh, of you and um, you and us that that is, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for um, yeah, just the image of uh, yeah reconciliation and unity that that brings and Lord God we pray that that would be the, the image that uh, we each uh, portray to others Lord the unity of um, the unity that we have with other, other believers thank you Lord for um, protecting us against uh, Satan and the wiles of the devil and Lord, we pray that our fellowship will be unhindered by uh, our own sin the sin of others and uh, the wiles of the devil Help us to stand firm on that foundation of the gospel, Lord. Thank you that we can unite around that. Thank you, Lord, that that binds us together. And thank you, Lord, that even if we haven't seen um, Christians for a long time because of uh, physical ailments and uh, other things, Lord, thank you, Lord, that we can uh, just enjoy that hope that we will we will see them uh, for all eternity one day. We will spend uh, eternity with you, um, glorifying you with our brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to apply these things to our lives. If there's anything that um, you've spoken to us about specifically, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to act on those things and not just uh, push them away or ignore them. Help us to act on them um, instantly, Lord. If that's just maybe a text now or maybe it's uh, seeing someone tomorrow at work or um, other Christian friends we have in different churches, help us, Lord, to... Um, we establish those those friendships, Lord, because we know that that's that's Your will that You want us united. I pray, Lord, that You just uh, yeah protect our fellowship, protect our um, uh, yeah protect us, Lord. Thank You in Jesus' name.